This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Prohibition is self-defeating. It's a multiplier for the industry. It increases the price but doesn't decrease demand. The drug war began with the process of colonisation. The current measures are based on fear. Good afternoon and welcome to Encyclopedia. Uh, thank you very much to Freedom of Species uh, back next week from 1pm. You can find out more about everything they talk about in their show, including um, all the show notes, very detailed show notes uh, on each episode, which can also be podcasted uh, by going to 3cr.org.au and follow, following the links to their program page. And then you can subscribe on your favourite podcast app. Ash, how are you going? I am good, Nick. Yeah, I can walk again. It's great. Yeah. Um, uh, if you haven't been uh, f- playing along uh, during COVID, uh, Ash also decided to uh, break his foot. Yeah, mm-hmm. broke three bones in my right foot. Um, <laughs> just to, you know, stack it on. Um, but um, it was a way of making sure that I complied with social distancing because I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> well, that's one way to do it. Uh, and you know, there's been a, I mean, it's been a weird time. We've um, been doing a lot of uh, experimental, other little bits and pieces, um, uh, being home a lot and in front of our own technology. Um, there's a video for AOD Media Watch that you can go and check out. Uh, it's from a segment that we played on the show about three weeks ago. Uh, that's on their social media and on YouTube as well. Um, and uh, just on Friday, Students for Sensible Drug Policy uh, did an event for Support Don't Punish. Yeah, there's well, it's a weird year for um, activism. Like normally there's these huge international events for um, Support Don't Punish, but this year instead there was a range of webinars, a series of webinars from all around the world. And we make do with what we've got. And the webinars aren't too bad because sometimes you get to uh, connect with people that you definitely would not have otherwise connected with. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's weird times for us recording uh, because we can't be in the studio. We're actually recording this before <laughs> the event. Uh, so we'll try and bring you perhaps some audio or speak to some people that uh, helped run those events at a future uh, on a future episode. Uh, another thing, uh, while we're sort of getting out diaries, I know that was a past diary, but it's in the future for us and it's getting a little bit confusing, uh, but this is for your future diary. Uh, Yarra Drug Health Forum, uh, ydhf.org.au, uh, are still holding their monthly forums. You can check out the last two on their YouTube channel uh, as well if you want to um, get in touch uh, with local uh, AOD, alcohol and other drug issues uh, in the city of Yarra. Uh, and the next one will be on um, Monday the, uh, what is it, 6th of July? Um, yeah, yeah, Monday the 6th of July. Um, and uh, I'm not sure, oh, I can't remember what the theme was. Uh, there's a lot of work uh, at the moment going on, uh, obviously with um, uh, public amenity, which has been another uh, big discussion with um, the announcement of the... Uh, uh, the end of the trial for the medically supervised injecting room and a, a, a second one being announced. Yeah, so we will be bringing you some more in-depth uh, content on this, but um, that was announced a couple of weeks back. Uh, the government's committed to implementing all of the recommendations of the review. Um, a lot of them were favourable about the centre. There was a few 
recommendations that highlighted maybe some failures in, uh, I guess, stakeholder engagement and communication and, and things that they could do outside of the centre. And it seems like that's the um, that's the middle ground that everybody can uh, agree on because there are some quite heated debates over uh, over I mean drug policy in general and this um, this just focuses it in on a particularly marginalized uh, section of the drug using community um, but uh, it seems like everyone can agree even the people who are there using the supervised injecting room that there are serious amenity issues in um, North Richmond uh, and and it's much broader than just a supervised injecting room and and one of the um, suggestions for that and one of the suggestions that goes back uh, decades and we're going to hear a little bit about that today uh, was to have more than one so that n- not everyone is going to the same spot yeah we we did almost have five it was the plans are in place it was all moving and going to go ahead and kind of fell down at the last minute and that was um i think over 20 years ago now so we're going to go um back uh in the history of drug policy over the past 20 or 30 years here in victoria um with a focus on city of yarra because uh, we have uh vera boston who is uh uh, has over 35 years of uh, harm reduction experience, uh, was one of the founding members of the Yarra Drug and Health Forum uh, in the uh, 90s um, and talks to us a little bit about uh, the heroin um, uh, rise and then the heroin drought, uh, the tough on drugs years from the uh, Howard government uh, and and just the sort of um, uh, how, how the communicative relationships between uh, the different groups uh, have evolved over that time. The voices you'll be hearing from are Peter Wern, the chairperson of the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, Greg Denham, former uh, executive officer uh, of the Yarra Drug and Health Health Forum, and also a former police officer and uh, a representative of Law Enforcement Action Partnership, or LEAP, in Australia. Uh, And, of course, uh, Vera Boston, who was one of the founding members of the Yarra Drug and Health Forum. This is 3CR. Well, uh, at the time, there was uh, just kind of like the beginning of the heroin glut. I'm not sure if it was right in the middle of it, but it was certainly kind of uh, taking off around Smith Street in particular. And uh, it coincided with the Pennington Report, which recommended uh, kind of local engagement strategies, you know, bringing the community along. And uh, I was CEO of what was then North Yarra Community Health, and we hosted a public meeting, which passed a resolution that, you know, uh, uh, some kind of uh, community forum be established. So that was really the genesis of the Drug and Health Forum way back. I can't remember the year. Greg, can you remember when the forum was started? 95? Was it 95? Mm, maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah, a little maybe. bit later. A little bit yeah. later. Oh, 96 then. 96 or 97, yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, and I guess the idea was really to um, to get a bit of a community voice. Uh, so the forum initially, you know, I sent out kind of a invitational emails to anyone who I knew around the place and uh, that included other agencies, it included uh, residents, it included kind of people who were associated with North Yarra Community Health uh, and it kind of took off from there and the idea was very much a kind of information sharing initially. Uh, that's why we used to have them at lunchtime so that people who 
I guess the idea was really that people whose main job may not have been around drugs still were impacted on by the drug issues that were really taking off in the community. And so we thought, well, you know, if we have it at lunchtime, then people can just kind of uh, don't have to take a whole lot of time off work, which their managers may not be pleased with, but, uh, you know, give some of their own time, i.e. their lunchtime and would supply sandwiches, etc. So... Uh, that was it. It kind of varied from time to time. Sometimes there were more residents involved, other times fewer. But there was a, a pretty broad representation. And uh, and one of the things that happened fairly early on was the engagement of the police, which I think was quite important from the point of view of kind of legitimising it and giving it a voice. And we're fortunate that the senior policeman who used to attend was very uh, sympathetic and came on board very, very quickly. But, you know, all sorts of agencies. And then from there, I guess, the idea was, well, how do we progress this? Because, of course, there was no funding at all. And we applied for, you know, various um, funding rounds and weren't successful. Uh, and I'd previously been at the city of St Kilda. Peter will remember this. We had the mm -hmm. project called the St Kilda Project, which was yeah. really around uh, alcohol more than drugs. But yeah. we thought we'd use a kind of similar model to engage with people. So we put in a few submissions, which, you know, didn't really get in, get very far. And then um, eventually we got uh, some in-kind support from um, the Office of Housing, which meant we could employ somebody for a uh, one or two day a week, I can't quite remember. And she kind of facilitated uh, the development of working groups, which had particular focuses, whether it was the high-rise estates, whether it was the impact on families, uh, street-based drug use, that kind of stuff. So, uh, look, it just kind of went on from there. Well, I mean, one of the things is that heroin was the drug of choice uh, and things like ice, you know, really hadn't been heard of. Uh, I can't really remember it. There might have been, you know, small pockets of use. What do you think, Peter? Oh, there was, there was amphetamine, but it was yeah. very much uh, uh, controlled recreational use. And you also didn't have the uh, the aggressive marketing of uh, of uh, of amphetamines like you have today. And I think the other the other thing you have to understand is that illicit drug use was was not the um, it was very much a subculture. And the reason that Pennington occurred was because you had this explosion of aggressive almost multinational marketing of heroin into a very affluent market and a pervasive uh, uptake of the drug that we'd never seen before. So it became really cheap, really pure and really available very, very quickly. And people who you never would have thought would have used the drug suddenly started using the drug. It became available, cheap and... Uh, and uh, usable in a way that we'd never seen. And uh, hence, there was a call for the Pennington Inquiry because no one really had a handle on how to deal with it. Well, that's that's quite right, Peter. I remember, you know, you could hardly walk down Smith Street without somebody coming up to you saying, are you chasing, you know? That's so right. uh, people who, and there was all, all sorts of stories about, you know, school kids being offered, you know, uh, free taste, you know, very cut price taste. So there was really very aggressive marketing of heroin at that stage. Mm. Yeah. So I think I think if you could picture North Richmond and Abbotsford as it is today, and if you if you could picture that in five or six places around Melbourne, 
that's what it was like back in the mid to late 90s because you had the city, you had St Kilda, you had Springvale, you had Dandenong, you had uh, Frankston, Footscray. Um, there were six or seven hotspot areas that were open, street drug markets where heroin was freely available. There was a significant number of um, overdoses and, and overdose deaths. And um, one of the, I guess, highlights or lowlights, I like to think of it, was the Herald Sun's um, com- comparison with the Roton at that stage. Um, and they would um, update it every day and provide a map for where all of the overdoses and the pure and available heroin was in Melbourne. So um, that that was, um, I guess, uh, a call to action by the government and, and the uh, appointment of Pennington, um, who had a long and distinguished career in the medical area, not so much with drugs, but certainly in the medical area, was um, was seen as um, a fairly radical move. But the the um, the, um, the strength of it was that it had a very um, significant political leadership from Jeff Kennett, and uh, he uh, he conducted the inquiry, um, Pennington, and uh, it was to be a whole of government approach. Harmonisation was to be the focus of the outcomes and, and all government departments were required to collaborate and, and um, cooperate in the implementation of um, a number of recommendations. I can't remember how many there were, but there was... About uh, 116. 116 recommendations. There was $100 million provided through the Community Support Fund um, to implement those recommendations. Um, so it was really a holistic whole-of-government comprehensive approach to address the problem of, um, of heroin use and open street drug markets. So um, I think looking back to what, what happened then and, and comparing it to what's going on now, there are significant differences between then and now in terms of the way in which we're approaching the drug problem or the drug issue. Well, I mean, the mortality figures are the biggest difference, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Herald Sun certainly ran a big kind of, you know, front page campaign, but there's no doubt that the mortality figures were quite shocking at that stage and they were affecting uh, not just your kind of street-based drug users, but, you know, uh, the, mm-hmm. the children of, uh, you know, affluent people living in Fitzroy and... Uh, and that's, know, where call, and yeah, yeah. that's where the call to action came because, uh, you know, I look back and uh, um, there was some significant, I guess, statements made by um, various... Um, leaders of um, departments of um, you know government, whether it's policing or health, etc. And uh, you know the it was touching everyone. It was touching, as you say, very. It was, it was impacting on everyone. And unfortunately, Neil Comrie came out one day because I think a son of a friend of his yes. overdosed, and he said, yes. "See, even the good kids are dying." Yes. Um, so. Um, yeah, I think he still regrets having said that, but um, that, yeah. that was what was happening and uh, it was, um, yeah, impacting um, very much the broader community, very much like the issue around HIV in the mid-'80s, you know. It was much, much broader than just individual people who are yeah. displaying high-risk behaviours. It was yeah. you know, potentially risking everyone's um, health. I think Greg makes a really good point that... Um, uh, that uh, in the, in the same way that HIV initially was um, stigmatised people and, and uh, there was quite a, uh, a, uh, 
a uh, prejudicial backlash against against people with HIV. Once once it once it was broadened out and it saw this was a virus that didn't discriminate against rich or poor, gender, colour or whatever, and people saw and all sorts of families were touched by it and the community embraced the need to, to do something about it, the same way with heroin in the mid-90s, the same thing occurred. I can tell you that in the, uh, and Vera would know this from her time in St Kilda, in the late 70s and early 80s in St Kilda, no one, no one cared one iota about people dying from heroin overdoses in St Kilda. Mm. And uh, some of the things that I saw as a young worker in the late 70s and early 80s in St Kilda, there was no compassion or concern for overdoses in St Kilda and there was no concern mm. for, uh, uh, for heroin addicts or they were, they were considered less than human. And, um, and uh, I can still remember there was a cafe in Fitzroy Street called the St Kilda Cafe and in that cafe, they, they were way ahead of their time. They had a unisex toilet. And in that unisex toilet, they had a, they had a, uh, a one, one toilet and they had a syringe in the system. And between 30 to 60 people a day would use that syringe to inject. They would share that syringe. And I don't know how many people would have caught as time went on, HIV or hepatitis C from sharing that syringe. So the pattern would be you'd get out of jail, you'd go down to St Kilda to source your drugs, you'd buy your drugs, you'd go to St Kilda Cafe to buy your drugs and you'd use the syringe in that toilet to inject your drugs, you'd put the syringe back and then the next person would use it. And uh, HIV changed all that with needle exchange and then when the heroin glut occurred, as Vera talked about in the, in the mid-90s, we just knew that so many people started dying and overdosing. People had been using heroin for 20 or 30 years. Something had to change. And the Pennington Inquiry was the response to that and the recommendations were the response to how do we stop so many people dying. So over yeah, the- I do remember, though, Peter, way back when I was at St Kilda, and I think I left there in 95 or something, uh, the councillors kind of saying, you know, because there were instances, there was a spate of uh, young women, sex workers, I think, yes. dying, you yes. know, and it, it happened very, very quickly, you know, That's so right. we had about five or six, one after yes. the other, and, and the council was kind of quite concerned about that and wanted me as the executive manager to do something. I mean, there was very limited, there was no structures <laughs> there, you know, like, yeah, right, I'm going to solve this problem, you know. But, I mean, there was awareness even way back in the sort of early to very early middle 90s that uh, that heroin, well, the availability of cheap heroin, I guess, was becoming an yes. and strong, cheap and strong, strong heroin. heroin. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I agree. But, but, but Vera, um, uh, I, I reckon the big difference was, and, and this is the thing that gives me hope, is that you could not get anyone interested in this issue in 1981. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. One, yeah. no one was interested. Yeah. Right? No, exactly right, yeah. But by the mid-90s, yeah. you yeah. know, even someone like, a, and credit to Mr Kennett, someone like a Kennett yeah. call, called for the Pennington Inquiry yeah. and, and, uh, and even both sides of politics, even the National Party were interested in doing something about it. And so yeah. I, think you, I think you have to see that, that uh, there has been a, uh, a community awareness and, and I think... I think Greg was right. The, um, 
And I remember sitting down with the editor, and I don't want to climb too much here, but I can tell you that I had the discussion with the editor of the Herald Sun about putting the uh, about putting the death toll of the uh, from heroin overdose in the paper because I, I challenged the editor of the Herald Sun. I said, "You you put the road toll on. There are more people dying from heroin now than the road toll. How come you don't talk about that? Why is that a what, what, don't these lives matter as much as people are dying car crashes?" Mm. Now, it's a blunt instrument, but, it, but there was an appetite in the community to do something. It resonated with the public. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah, it resonated. Yeah. For the reasons that Greg said, that it was yeah. touching. And, and as you've said, when, when it's just the sort of, you know, the sex workers, yeah. the homeless, the slightly deranged people, it doesn't matter. That's the other. That's not me, you know. Yeah. It's when my cousin's sister-in-law dies. Yes. It's when my, uh, you know, nephew's best friend from school, all of that kind of stuff, that's what uh, pushed those buttons. Yep. So also at that time there was a, uh, a national response reforming how, uh, how Australia uh, approached its, its drug strategy through the Howard government's uh, Tough on Drugs campaign uh so uh that campaign one of the sort of uh it was it was responding to this increase in in heroin and one of the claims uh is that it was successful in heavy policing in in reducing that heroin but there's also other stories as as there always are uh in in what actually affected that um i mean how did this play into obviously can it then went on and lost that election, um, did have some plans to do things like I think even cannabis legalisation was, was on, the, on yes. the ball and that was a Liberal government, it's a Liberal federal government. Um, what, what sort of, how did the politics of that interplay with, um, with the, uh, the on-the-ground policy responses? I can't well, remember. Go on, Greg, yeah. No, I was going to say, well, um, certainly, uh, as we all know, Howard was a man driven by his... Um, you know, his, his moral agenda, and uh, that, that was very much anti-drug, and uh, he had strong support for um, abstinence-based, drug-free Australia-type, um, you know, institutions and agencies. Um, and he um, also was a very clever politician, and he knew that um, by, uh, I guess, em- embracing and also facilitating greater involvement of police um, in the fight against drugs that would be a very powerful political tool. And I think, you know, if, we, if there's one thing to be learned from that time is that almost every politician has followed his example since in terms of ensuring that, that the police are kept on side, they're well-resourced, and, and they generate and, and emanate very positive um, narratives around the impact of their activities in terms of dealing with the drug issue. On the other side, though, um, and the money that he put in through the, um, I can't remember what it was called, but it it was um, some national drugs initiative, most of the money that came through for um, uh, the court programs, a lot of federal money came through for um, credit, for um, drug diversion programs, for cannabis cautioning programs. So on on one side, he's, he's kind of saying, well, you know, this is a policing issue, we need to deal with it through law enforcement. Um, criminal justice system, and on the other side, he said, "Well, we'll give money to, um, you know, uh, <coughs> to um, look at ways to divert people out of the criminal justice system, particularly into treatment programs." So very much, yeah. about, well, people need to get into treatment, and people need to deal with their drug problem. So the alternatives are treatment and abstinence, or 
caught and jailed. So that and that's what we have today. That that kind of narrative has has stuck since that time. So um, and uh, he was he was just very clever. Whether it was refugees, whether it was drugs, whether it was a range of things, he he drove a particular narrative and political agenda to um, show in, to enable those types of issues to be. Um, I guess to be um, to his benefit, to to be politically advantageous in terms of the way in which he ran a narrative about that. So, um, but as you say, the money the money was different because you know we got money for psychologists mm. to work with our drug yes. users, you know, yes. uh, and I'm sure lots of other services did yeah, too. Yeah. So he was clever in the sense that uh, you know to hear him, you'd think it was all about. Uh, Stopping supply, but in actual fact, there was quite a bit of uh, of other money being directed towards actually working with people in a way which was helpful. Mm. But yeah. you, you would also say, though, that when you looked at the divide between, um, let's say, what would be a, a harm a harm reduction um, a harm reduction approach versus a treatment approach versus a uh, a law enforcement approach. Law enforcement is the biggest part of the pie by far. Yeah. Then um, treatment is the next biggest and harm reduction is the smallest. Mm. And that, and as Greg said, that formula, that split has continued. Has continued. To be, yeah. has continued. And, well, the, and the growth in money has always been in, I think, unevenly in the last 20 years has been in law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, he... He got up in Parliament in 2002, Howard, when, you know, the heroin, so-called heroin drought came in uh, and just spoke glowingly of the money that went into law enforcement. And that, to me, that was probably one of the most significant turning points in uh, our approach towards drug issues um, over the last 25 years because once he had established that, or in in his mind, that law enforcement had been the answer, you know, it was always going to be tough. It was always going to be, you know, all of the harm minimisation approach, which he criticised in Parliament, he got up and said, you know, we did not follow the harm minimisation approach. We were tough on drugs and this is the result. So, you know, we, um, we've been dip- trying to um, push back against that and to run a different narrative and to get a greater emphasis on, on harm reduction in particular ever since. Now, you know, we all know that harm minimisation policy the, 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 the basis of the National Drug Strategic Framework is harm minimisation, supply reduction, demand reduction, harm reduction. Yes. But as you know, as Peter said, supply reduction takes three quarters of all of the Good funding yep. that goes into the harm minimisation approach. And, that, yeah. and treatment, I think, is something like 20%. Yeah. And I think harm reduction is less than 5%, maybe even less than that. So yeah. that's, that's the difficulty that we had. And when I came into the role at the um, forum in 2010, that, that was a sort of, you know, that, that was a, the political environment and the, and the, and the funding environment and the budget environment and the narrative and, and the culture that had been developing over the last 10 years. And that's, that, that was our biggest challenge. Yeah. And, and, I'd, and I'd say that um, uh, one, of, one, of the, uh, one of this historical context that we have to think about is that, and uh, Vera will remember this as well, is that in the early 90s, when, when uh, the Kennett government came in, they completely transformed the drug treatment service system in Victoria. 
and they closed down both in mental health and drug treatment, they closed down all the institutional mental health and drug treatment, institutional treatment services, the broad acreage institution, residential institutions like Royal Park, Mont Park, places like that, which also housed the residential treatment, state-run um, drug treatment facilities. And they made them into, they developed community-based treatment services. So that was a big transformation. And that coincided with the growth and the explosion, not many years later, three or four years later, of the, uh, the heroin glut. So you had these big changes in, in the service system confronting a big change in the, drug tr in, the, uh, in the drug markets and the way drug markets were constructing themselves. So you had radical changes of both in, in both the markets and also the treatment responses. These things were just coincidental that they happened at the same time, saying they're linked. And so my understanding with that, Peter, is is that that also coincided with um, shutting down of some of the permanent mental health institutions. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because they were linked. Yeah. Because when when I used to take people for treatment for drugs, if they wanted to get inpatient treatment, unless you were really rich and you went into a private hospital, uh, when I worked in St Kilda, I would take people to Royal Park Psychiatric Hospital to do right. detoxes. Right. That that was the detox. You'd go to a psychiatric hospital to do a detox and boy did you get introduced to some interesting drugs there during your detox <laughs> much better than you got on the street I can tell you that and um, so so the whole the whole uh, nature of the way we provide treatment changed but also millions and millions of dollars in real dollars were taken out of those systems and so what people like Vera had were given to provide services in the community were much much less that have been provided in those institutions. So the real dollars being spent on treatment were much, much reduced. The St Vincent's Hospital Melbourne Emergency Appeal is raising funds to support our frontline staff. Funds raised through the appeal are being used to immediately purchase urgently needed equipment. Please donate today. Call 9231 3365 or visit stvfoundation.org.au. St. Foundation is a 3CR supporter. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminawaya Mōbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. On Monday the 23rd of March, 3CR closed its doors to all presenters so that we could do our bit to help stop the spread of COVID-19. We understand that it's important for people to be able to stay at home at this time in order to reduce the number of people affected and thereby reduce the stress on our health system. Since the 3CR shutdown, 
programmers and volunteers have been working remotely to create new content and produce their show from home. We'll continue to bring you dynamic, up-to-date community radio during the COVID-19 crisis, so keep listening. This isn't Psychedelia. My name's Nick, and if there's anything uh, you want to know more about that we talk about on the show, we likely have more information about it uh, on our social media or on our website, which can be reached at npsychedelia.org, which, um, if you don't have a pen and paper on you, might be a little bit hard to uh, find because it's a ridiculous URL. I mean, who, who's going to spell that right? Um, I realised that after I bought the thing. So instead, go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, where there are links to all of our social media and website uh, where you can find all the um, extra information, uh, but also find uh, all the other radio shows, um, which I'm sure there'll be a couple more that will interest you, tantalise your brain buds. Um, and you can also become a subscriber of 3CR and help to support uh, all the radio that you hear, uh, the hundreds of hours of uh, voluntarily uh, produced and created um, radio from around Melbourne. We're going back to our conversation now with Peter Wern, Greg Denham and Vera Boston, all with connections to the Arrow Drug and Health Forum, Vera being one of the uh, founders of the Arrow Drug and Health Forum in the mid-90s. Going back to, you know, the way that the forum engaged people, one of the people that engaged was a woman called Brenda who had lost a daughter to heroin addiction and she started up a sort of parent support group which ran for a number of years at a time that such things weren't really in existence. You know, eventually, uh, who took it over? Uh, I mean, who took over its function? Uh, what's it Family called? drug support. Was it family drug support? Yeah, 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 yes. family drug support, yeah. Uh, but, she's I mean, still that's around. Time, but oh, she's still around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm no, I run all the time. Yeah, I yeah. see it all the time. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, uh, but the group itself that used to meet, you know, once every two weeks yeah. or whatever it meant, it doesn't exist anymore because family drug support took it over or took over its function. Mm. But uh, that was very empowering for a lot of people and I know that people uh, used to come really from not just from the city of Yarra but from all over all Melbourne. Over. So it certainly yeah. filled a gap yeah. for people who had lost uh, usually a child, sometimes a sibling, to heroin and wanted to share their experiences, yeah. One of the things I think that um, is, uh, made, the, made the forum um, very effective and I'm, I guess, moving towards the time that I was there but certainly historically uh, from what I was told was that uh, um, <clears throat> there was always a, an acknowledgement that the forum would not take a particular view or particular perspective or political agenda or a, um, you know, that they, they weren't push, pushing a particular point of view that we relied on the, the research, the science and a consensus um, and also I think a, a belief that, um, you know, we, that trying something new and trying a different approach was to be supported and, in fact, encouraged so people could come along and... Uh, all views were heard, all um, opinions, and no one was excluded. And uh, I think that, that 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 built the reputation of the forum to the extent that people wanted to come along because they felt that it just wasn't another meeting with the Department of Health or, you know, a group of bureaucrats who were just going to sit and listen to what people said and then just walk out the door and do the, exactly the same thing that they were going to do anyway. So I think that's where the forum gained a huge reputation. Um, uh, for and credibility, um, 
So, yeah, so I think that was that was what um, I found to be quite, you know, um, I don't know, it, it was it, it sort of um, became such such a, a unique opportunity that and, and a unique approach that, you know, I felt that, um, that 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 was probably the the main issue that I wanted to safeguard as the uh, executive officer, that yeah. aspect of it. And I think one of the um, factors that enabled that, which I don't think happened, see, because the forum existed prior to the money coming on board and North Yarra had been the auspice, when the money came on board, there was a bit of debate, you know, should North Yarra continue to be the auspice? Would it be better, as happened in other municipalities, if the money went to local government for them to yes. kind of manage and to, you know, facilitate? But in fact, Having worked in local government, I think local government's great, but it's got a lot of things on its plate. And my view was always that it would be better for it to stay with North Yarra because it could be more independent of the various kind of political machinations that go on in local government, less open to the sort of pressure that the state government can put on local government. So I think that was one of the, uh, yep. the facilitating factors for the forum, that it wasn't seen as an arm of government. You know, it welcomed people from local government, it welcomed people from the state government and from the feds occasionally, but we were our own little entity that could make our own decisions and set our own strategic plans and, you know, uh, and, you know, North Yarra, I think, credit to the board, you know, never tried to sort of influence that, never tried to exercise any kind of control. It was, you know, no, this is what it's set up for, to have its own independence and we're going to make sure that it continues like that. So I think that was a good thing. And, and also I think uh, Vera won't say this, but I, I say it all the time, is that uh, under Vera's leadership as well, never, never ever um, uh, uh, interfered with the workings of the, um, of, the, uh, of the forum, allowed the forum to run its own course, asked the appropriate questions. We were accountable to, uh, to North Yarra, but it was a really organic, trusted relationship, interested relationship and an accountable relationship. And I absolutely agree. If we'd been... And I think to answer Greg's question earlier, if we'd been part of the city of Yarra, the forum would have ended 15 years ago. Yeah. Because the history of um, where money had been given to uh, local government, like the city of Melbourne, mm. the city of Melbourne had funding. Yeah. They, they, they just all disband- had funding. The yeah, they had funding. Yeah. funding. All of yeah, them. They, they all, they, all those things just disappeared. Yeah. I'm curious with, um, with funding, uh, I, I know sort of, vaguely that the way that um, uh, funding and reporting relationships work is different now than it was 30 years ago and that it's sort of evolved uh, as very much sort of a numbers game being, being able to, to prove through like key performance indicators, um, which I don't know if that was a familiar term in, in, in the 90s and early 2000s, but now it's... Uh, yeah, we invented it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, how is that? How is that um, that role of reporting? Because uh, again, engaging with um, with community and, ha- and having those discussions can be a, a very difficult thing to measure in comparison with something um, that has that's more um, quantitative, I guess. So, uh, yeah, how does well, it? Work? Greg will be able to speak to this, but the key performance indicators that were set out in the funding agreements, which were there from the start, were a joke, really, because you yeah. know. A yeah. number of meetings, a number yeah. of community meetings held each yes. year, number of public forums organised, yes. you know, too easy to meet, you know, not, not, yeah. not an issue. And that's partly because the people who drew up the funding agreements uh, were 
aware of the fact that the real job of the forum wasn't measured like that. That was just a sort of ticker box exercise, which was kind of easy to to, yes. to satisfy the, the requirements. Would you agree, Greg? Oh, look, it's an ongoing discussion, Vera, that happened uh, <laughs> on and on and on, you know. Uh, what's outputs, outcomes and impact? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it was always interesting to work out, depending on which uh, departmental rep has just been appointed, what they were interested in receiving, um, yeah. you know, because it did. It varied from year to year and, uh, you know, we could, we could obviously tell um, the department and, their, and other funders what we were doing, which was pretty straightforward, but measuring the impact and measuring mm. the outcomes is always really, really challenging. And, uh, you know, I, I think over the time that, you know, I was there, um, I try to emphasise, again, uh, and, of course, the other issue is that you don't work in isolation. You know, you, you've got all of these other agencies around you in Yarra that are doing a whole lot of stuff at the same time and trying to isolate what you've done and how much impact that's had is it's almost impossible. You know, it's almost, it's, it's almost impossible to say that, okay, we did this at this time and this was the outcome and, and therefore we've had this impact. Um, so but we, nobody we, measures impact really. No, no government department measures impact. In the human services space, in the human yeah. services space, it's, uh, you know, you're not talking about how many uh, widgets did you produce. You're often talking about changes that occur over many years. So, you know, there's no reporting system mm. that will enable you to do that. Certainly no yeah. ticker box system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's always a narrative. It's always been yeah. a narrative. More... Yeah. more uh, more qualitative than uh, quantitative as far as I was concerned. It's all about um, providing a narrative that demonstrated that the forum um, is not only meeting the four objectives that have been set out for it, um, but also that the, the quality of the material that was produced by the forum was, um, you know, was, was easily met the funding requirements, probably above that more times than... Mm. than than it did, you know. We, we we were never challenged in terms of our outputs. So we never, never, no one ever said, "Oh, you're not meeting your, you know, your KPIs or goals." Yeah. No. I, can I just say, I think the biggest challenge we've had in the last uh, half dozen years has been the um, the restructuring and the inner the inner the inner workings of the department itself. We've probably had more change in the last six years than the previous sixteen years in terms of the department, and I'd say that the, uh, the strategy that we've always had um, in Vera's time and since Vera's left is that we go and meet the minister every year, we go and talk to people that are very senior in the department every year, we meet with the local member every year and we engage and build those relationships that are outside and beyond our reporting relationships. And I think, I think that holds us in good stead mm. and that we're transparent in terms of what we're trying to do. So nothing's a surprise. We're not trying to, to blindside anybody and we try to be respectful in the way we deal with everybody within those structures. And I think what that works the, for us. Yeah. One of the things that Greg was saying that kind of reminded me is the the research kind of stuff, you know, the collaboration with institutions, mm. the publication of, you know, uh, those reports into supervised injecting, street-based mm. drug use uh, mm. over a number of years that were 
you know, in many ways paves the way for the location of the supervised injecting room in, in Richmond, yeah. but also hopefully educated people in various places that might have read this about what some of the real issues were. And because we collaborated with, you know, well-respected uh, research institutions, it couldn't be something that could be just kind of shrugged off. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't just an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and I mean, that's a fairly important thing to be able to do, but it is also far easier, I guess, for, um, uh, and I guess I'm thinking of it from a very broad level, for uh, um, narratives that are more dismissive of drug users to, to, to push through. It's, it's much more difficult in terms of resources because you need to be having those discussions with community and um, Yarra Drug Health Forum is a good example of that happening. But, um, you know, it's on, only in the city of Yarra, uh, I don't know, when the St Kilda project closed down. What, what led to the, just curiously, do, uh, Peter, do you have, uh, what, what led to that? Closing, or is there has it changed and evolved? Or no, 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 no. It because was, the fixed term funding. Yeah, fixed ran out of money. It was funded by the ADF, wasn't it? Uh, uh, Vera. Um, Pretty I sure it was. To, I can't remember. I'm sorry. Too long ago. Because I, I remember uh, Jeff. Uh, um, oh, he's gone there. Just left the ADF two years ago. Jeff Munro. Yeah, Jeff Munro used to turn up to all the uh, meetings as the funder. No, not the, no, he didn't fund it. No, he, used, he was a collaborator. It was, um, I think it was... I turning, actually, was proceeds of, proceeds of crime? Proceeds of crime, yeah. Yeah, proceeds of crime, that's right. That's what funded it. Yeah. The drift fund? Mm? Wasn't there a drift fund set up, proceeds of crime, drug yes. facilitation research fund, drift? Might have been before that, Greg. Mm. Might have been even before that. The community support fund was funded, funnily enough, from... Um, uh, poker machines, I think. Yes, go gambling money. Yeah. Uh, oh, can I just read a read a um, line from this? Sure. The members of the Yarra Dragon Health Forum kept us grounded on the challenges and pleasures of community partnership work in this area, and we thank them for this. So it actually mentions the Yarra Dragon Health Forum in this folder. So what year is what year is that? This was produced in two thousand, but that's through Commonwealth funding. So, but this is only a report. This is only like um, a, a, um, a manual, a kit, yeah. based on the work that the St Kilda Project undertook. So it's a it's a manual, a guide on how to develop community based action. Mm. Yeah, Turning Point got Turning Point got funding to write that up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess I'm I, I'm interested because it must be it must have been difficult, um, as it's still difficult today, um, to work, uh, especially during the late 90s and early 2000s, where zero tolerance was um, absolutely the, the, the mantra that was being pushed. I do remember when I was in high school, um, some of the, uh, some of the um, uh, anti-drug stuff that was coming through. You know, I grew up as a, as a very much an anti-drug kid, knowing very, very little about drugs. I think we might have had a tiny bit in our... Um, uh, health class or something, and uh, I, there was this odd time when a guy from I, I don't even know what organization, but he came in and gave us a talk 
about um, why you shouldn't use plastic bottle bongs. Um, I don't know if it was just our school and there was a lot of bong smoking going on, like water, water pipes. But yeah, he came and he was like, oh, if you want to smoke bongs, you have to use a, a glass bong because it's better for you. So that, I mean, may, maybe that was an example of, um, of something good that was happening, but the um, very much it was a zero tolerance mantra. I mean, the, the person that headed up the, um, uh, what was it, the... Not the Council on Drugs. Um, National Council on Drugs. It was. Uh, it was um, uh, Major Brian Waters, and that's not yeah, a, yeah. Um, yeah. a not a major of, of any um, actual military outfit. It's the Salvation Army, um, and they that still sort of exists today through Drug Free Australia, who uh, yeah. uh, Brian Waters is is the head of. So the, these were the people yeah. that were in con- in control of that. Um, but Margaret think- Hamilton from Turning Point was also on that committee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe is that the, the and story? So t- and so is Tony Trimium. Yeah. But that, the interesting aspect of that, um, though, Nick, was that that was all set up during the, during the 90s, like that there was at one stage, I think, at least eight different subcommittees and committees set up under the federal government funding, um, and there were a number of people who are supportive of harm minimisation and harm reduction yep. involved in that, and that yes. really did reflect you know, what was happening at state level as well. But over, like, a period of about 10 years, that was slowly whittled away. It's, you know, the committees were dissolved. Now there's just one, which I think is called ANACAD, which yes. does not report openly about, no. um, you know, what, what decisions it makes. So I don't know how much influence it's got. Um, so it puts the great hunt, doesn't it? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. the great hunt. Yeah, so, um, so you know, we, we've gone from, you know, very much a collaborative sort of holistic sort of whole of government approach through the mid-late 90s and early 2000s to a point where, you know, we've, we've, we've almost got very little engagement with, um, you know, the community agency services, um, et cetera. It, it's all controlled and I'm not trying to sound like I'm, you know, one of these people that, you know, are protesting against 5G network or anything. So <laughs> it's, it's all it's all basically managed. Everything is managed now. It, it's risk managed. So what I found with the forum from 2010 as, as I progressed was that there was slowly, the more you raise the issue that things weren't working, the less engagement there was with government around the issue. Yes. But that included policing, included the department, um, and included a number of other agencies, government agencies, who um, I think were basically told that not, not so much to back off, but, you know, we need to be careful here because there's too many landmines. There's too much being raised here which reflects badly on the government. So I, I think, you know, we... Um, we we made in some respects it, it difficult for ourselves by continually pushing the fact that what what was the policies weren't working, you know, particularly in North Richmond Abbotsford that area. So and it became quite tense. It became really a very politically sensitive issue. And uh, you know, I was very fortunate because of um Vera's support and, and other support to be able to continue to raise those issues. And Peter and I, as he, Peter said before, went to see people like Gavin Jennings and Richard Wynn and, and these people, but, you know, we had that, we, we had that permission to do it. But um, it just... And both Gavin and Richard used to be regular attendees at the forum. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, 
so yeah, it, it did. It became very became very difficult to manage the relationships. So at, at a particular point when it was becoming apparent that you know um, we weren't going to back down, even so, even though you know there were no, there was nothing nothing ever said in terms of you know um, it, it's not going to happen or anything like that. It was just a case of well, okay, you know we we listening to you, you know, etc. You know, no, go away. We, were, we were never given an indication. <laughs> we were never told. But we said quite firmly, we're not going to back down from this. You know, we're not going to stop until this issue is resolved. Yeah. But but obviously it did, you know, because yep. one of the things that we were talking to them about was the supervised injecting room, yep. you know, after the launch of the uh, the report. Yep. We got the lockdown. The, we got the lockdown. We yes. got the syringe dispensing units. Yeah, So exactly. we, we're having wins along the way for sure. Yeah. 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 I think the other thing, I think the other thing, Nick, that um, that's really important, uh, and Vera alluded to it before, in terms of the uh, how the uh, the forum was governanced, was that we we never competed for funding against anybody else. We weren't competitors as an organisation. We we had a single clear purpose, and we and we supported others in their applications for their funding. But we didn't, um, we didn't think, oh, it would be really good to run the needle exchange in North Richmond or we should be running the, uh, the supervised injecting room as the Yarra Drug and Health Forum or yeah. we should be doing this. Yeah. No, 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 no. We, we, advocate, we advocate for the issue and uh, whoever, whoever's going to do it, we will support them in what they should do and we're not interested in, um, in cutting anyone's grass. We, we, yeah. we, we want the issue up. Yep. And we want the best people to get it. Yeah, and that, and that was reflected, uh, funnily enough, uh, in a conversation I had yesterday when I was doing outreach <laughs> in Abbotsford with a person who attended the meeting in 2008, the community meeting where the first proposal, well, certainly the community said, well, um, you know, why don't we have a centre like they do in Sydney? And he recounted that meeting. Uh, and uh, so you're right. It was, you know, um, people always say, oh, you know, that's, the Arrow Drug and Health Forum are always beating the drum about the injecting room. Like, you know, um, don't they don't they get don't they get the message that you know it's not wanted type of thing or there's no support for it? But there was there was always support for it because we had our ears dear to the ground because we were listening to people who um, who who were living living with it every day. So um, you know, so we we had that um, you know we, I think we had that confidence to say that we are actually representing people that do want this particular you know, facility to be established. Um, so that, that, that was something which I think we, we, we could always turn around and say, you know, this isn't just about, you know, Greg Denham or Peter Wern or, you know, this is about the people of Yarra that actually want it.
Psychedelia on 3CR is what you're listening to and you can become a subscriber today and help support the radio station that supports uh, not just us but everyone here at 3CR and the uh, uh, huge variety of content that you do not get anywhere else 3cr.org.au uh, and you can become a subscriber today uh, at a rate that applies um, best to your circumstances. Um, we there are just is about- no other station where you can hear the voices that you hear on this uh, It does not exist in many places, probably in the world, where you've got one station you can hear from the voices of people who use drugs. You can hear from um, people from Chile that talk about the things happening there. Uh, people from Papua New Guinea, all different ethnic groups, uh, giving a voice to those communities that don't have many other places where they can be heard. Join up, sign up, support 3CR. Listen, Ash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Two weeks' time. It is our fifth birthday. Um, Five years of broadcasting here on 3CR, so that's five years of support um, from them as well. So thank you, 3CR, uh, for supporting us for the five years. But um, it'll still be in lockdown, so we'll have to do the radio show in a echoey room again. But you will be able to tune into a uh, live stream from Entheogenesis Australis, who uh, have been uh, running conferences for 20 years on um, ethnobotany um, and wide variety of psychedelic issues and really taking um, these issues seriously like in a um, not in a uh, nutty kind of way in the best kind of way really Uh, you can find out about that stream uh, where you can also contribute if you happen to be somebody with a fantastic garden or a skill that you'd like to share or a piece of knowledge um, that you'd like to get out there then you can contribute uh, as well, you can find out more at their website, which is entheogenesis.org. I know, another mouthful. Uh, we'll post links on our social media. So if you are on social media, you'll be able to find out more information there. Uh, and that's going to be all day on Sunday in two weeks' time on uh, what must be what early July. <laughs> Indeed. And um, for the cannabis enthusiasts out there, just a reminder that submissions are open for the Victorian Cannabis Inquiry. If you go to the committees page at uh, parliament.vic.gov.au, you'll be able to find a link there. Uh, we'll be talking more about that in future shows. Um, also, a reminder that this year our uh, cousins over in New Zealand uh, have their referendum. That is going to come up real quick. It's on the um, 19th of September. So we'll try and um, do a show with some people from New Zealand and give you a bit more info about that as well. 3cr.org.au is the place to go for more information and uh, keep it tuned here for what's up next, which is Queering the Air. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. See you later. This is Psychedelia. For more information, visit Psychedelia.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Psychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. 2pm next Sunday. 
You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of Encyclopedia, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.